Hello, I'm Howard Phillips Lovecraft, and despite all my warning, you're listening to Microphones of Madness. Hey, everybody, Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney, and over there, Steve. Hey. Hey, and today we are talking Star Wars Rogue One by Disney, a Disney story. Uh, we have a couple special guests on the panel today. We'll start with Lily. Most of you guys Hi. know her. Go ahead and introduce yourself, Lily. You just introduced me. I did. Redundant. That's redundant. <laughs> but I have to say, Lily. Well, I am the author of uh, the webcomic Red Velvet Requiem. You can find that at Tapastic. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at, uh, at Nico the Odd. Because, yeah, I changed that because it didn't make sense to have the old one anymore. Mm-hmm. And for our final panelist is Lehman. Go ahead and introduce yourself to everybody. Hi, I'm Lehman Kessler. I've uh, appeared, I think, a time or two on uh, some of the uh, gaming uh, gaming adventures. Um, but uh, I am most, most known for uh, impersonating HP Lovecraft over at asklovecraft.com. There we go. And we are, again, talking Star Wars Rogue One. Um, quick head count, I think uh, Steve loved the movie. I like that movie a lot. Lily, what were your thoughts, just in general? Mediocre. Lehman? Uh, I believe I gave it about a B minus. My standard review is that I was not, ahem, blown away. Uh, uh, me too. So it's it's three to one on here. Now, I like those odds. They're the same odds yeah. that the Rebels had. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? You may have a late comer come save you. That's right. You might have they're, a late comer. Damn wings, though. <laughs> And that will be the first argument made by that late commercial. <laughs> yeah. You underestimate Nick. Now, no, no, I don't. <laughs> I was excited for this movie. Uh, no live feed today. Sorry, Lehman. We're doing this for audio. Now, I was very excited for this movie coming out, being the story of how the Death Star plans were stolen. Uh, yeah, had a had an interesting cast. I'm I'm a fan of Donnie Yen particularly. Was very curious as to what his role was going to be, and I went and seen the movie. And I came out; it was kind of lackluster. I mean, it was big and spectacle, and but I think CGI Tarkin really killed it. Oh, yeah, that was some serious uncanny valley. Well. I could look past that, though. I mean, honestly, Tarkin shouldn't have been in there, and Leia shouldn't have been in there mm-hmm. as as computer generated things. I mean, I you will could let have gotten, them slide with Leia. Leia actually looked good. You could have gotten people to do that. I mean, there's no shortage of people. Well, they could have well, had people, they had they could have shot all of that from behind. They could have just had them from behind. Well, the Leia the Leia stuff you could have done with like a hand and a bit of fabric. Um, That's all you needed. Like the, I said, from behind. It was the fact that they had they, they did recast Mon Mothma, but like, nope, we gotta we gotta Polar Express up Tarkin. Yeah. And that was one of the things I, you know, how, do you remember Lehman how much of this movie was reshot? I, I well, I don't know. I feel like I've heard that there's essentially enough cut footage to make a whole other movie. That they just they did a lot of of reworking i want to say the guy who played krennic talked about how like there's just all these extra things they shot i mean and it, and it feels like that right i mean that's my, my biggest critique of it is how uneven it feels and you know there's just scenes that feel tacked on the the, the first darth vader scene feels kind of like a fan service ah let's throw in some darth vader let's throw in darth vader well, cracking a joke hold on one second <laughs> disney is now in control of all oh, yeah. things Star Wars. And oh, yeah. if you don't like what you saw in here, you better strap in because that's what it's going to be like from here on in. It's Disney. You kind of got to take that with a grain of salt. The thing is, is that between this and the other movie, 
I feel like the other movie was just a better movie all around. This one was just. There was some. There was some ineffable spark that I didn't get from this. I think that if you sort right. of, you know, laid out all the problems with the Force Awakens, you know, people being able to see a planet blown up from like three star systems away, you know, like there's logical inconsistencies in in the Force Awakens, in this movie, and in the prequels, and all of them, right? They're not perfect films, but there's something, there's some alchemical reaction that takes place that makes Empire fun, that makes Attack of the Clones meh. I would not put this. I would not put Rogue One with the prequels. I think. No, I feel like it's better than prequels. There is something ineffably better, but it's it's missing the same spark and that same sense of awe and wonder I had coming out of Force Awakens. And again, I think you could. I think you could. You know, dissect both films, lay them side by side, and you know, come up with a pros and cons list that's very evenly matched. But but and and this is you know again it's a it's a very personal thing and I think it's a hard thing to be like no it's obviously a better film but for me there was just some some missing thing and I and again I don't know necessarily what it was but there was something missing from Rogue One which didn't make it not enjoyable I definitely enjoyed it going wow I just had the Star Wars experience and I definitely had that with Force Awakens I actually know what it is that I didn't particularly click with with Rogue. I'm not the biggest Star Wars fan, so that part is never going to be a problem with me with any of the, the consistencies with the other movies. It's either going to be a fun movie or it's not. It was the chemistry. Certain characters had chemistry, others didn't. And you can tell. And it wasn't that any of them were poorly acted, it's just those particular actors did not have good chemistry together. So those scenes were kind of like, eh, for me. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense to you, uh, really what, what was bothering me was that certain characters just didn't have chemistry. Like uh, Donnie Yen's character that. and his buddy, they had chemistry. Mm-hmm. The, the, the pilot, he had chemistry. The two main characters, not so much. Yeah, I, I, I can agree with you there. Well, I believe Donnie Yen, and I forget who the, the gentleman who played Yeah, Dave I can't even remember that guy's name, and I loved him. Like, that says something <laughs> about their chemistry. Yeah, um... <laughs> I think they were they were friends and they had worked together many times before. before and you get that, like you get that without Wen having any backstory on them. I'm sorry, Steve. Wen Zhang. Yeah, I think yeah. I think he and Donnie Yen have been in several projects together, and they they are actually friends in in IRL. So they kind of brought that to the table. But yeah, yeah I, I think that helped those two characters because just like the fact that you get as little about them. You feel like you know way more about them than you do anybody else you meet. <laughs> well, I also think because they were the connection to the Jedi that were in this movie, that they had a certain amount of familiarity about them. Because that's what you're used to in a Star Wars film. And you didn't really get a lot of Jedi in, in this film. As a matter of fact, you got no Jedi. <laughs> right. <laughs> and and they were as close as you were going to get to that mystical quasi Japanese um, Star Wars mythology, really. Well, there's something almost there's something really powerful about someone who believes so much in the Force but doesn't get the magical powers. And I mean, uh, he did have magic. He had he had magical plot powers, but like didn't have the technical Jedi powers. Um, right. Like someone who's just a devotee. Like, that's cool. We haven't seen that. We've seen people who sort of take the force for granted and have magical jumping laser sword powers. Or people who, you know, don't believe in it or are actively fighting against it. But to have, I don't know, that's that's really cool. As someone who's done a lot of Star Wars gaming, that's a really cool thing. Um, uh, I used to play a lot of the West End Star Wars game. And there was a great... There's a great class called the Chaotic Jedi. You know, you think you're a Jedi. You're not, but you think you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's meant to be a bit of a joke class. But and this was not a joke. But but there was enough of that parallel that I really that was that was really cool. And I think you're I think you're absolutely right about the fact that chemistry and relationship are so so key to a Star Wars film. Do, do you guys know the YouTube um, uh, sort of pop culture analyst guy? Uh, they overqualified henchmen. Uh, no, not all yes, I do. He did this great episode called Shipping Manifest, where he talks about he, he presents this theory, which I, I actually really buy, about part of what makes the prequels 
not work and the original trilogy work. And in, and and I think it relates to Force Awakens and Star Wars. And it's that so much of the action and plot of the original trilogy is about friends trying to rescue each other, friends trying to help each other, you know, even before their friends, you know, Luke, you know, Luke trying to rescue Leia, um, you know, Han Solo coming in to rescue Luke at the very end. Empire Strikes Back. It's it's Luke rushing off to Cloud City to rescue Han and Leia. Return of the Jedi starts with Han and Luke or Luke and Leia trying to rescue rescue Han. Luke trying to rescue his father. It's it's all of this like interpersonal stuff that's part of the big politics, that's part of the like defeating the empire, but it's it's the 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 pieces are moving around for each other and the and the big galactic story is responding to that as opposed to we need to go to a trade federation. We need to find out what's going on with Count Dooku. We need to, you know, like that mm-hmm. kind of there were, you know, there was no sense of we're 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 here for each other. And Force Awakens had that, right? It had I I you know, Flint if it went back to that smaller sphere of humanity of I don't know you, but yeah. we kind of hit it off and I actually care about you, so I want to protect you. Jacket. Keep it. <laughs> and and there was most Finn and Poe, greatest love story ever. <laughs> and the most we saw that in Rogue One uh was uh was yeah, the the two guys sort of you know, kind of bouncing around and, and, and helping each other. Uh, and uh, uh, Jen Ursa trying to rescue her father, right? And that I father like story. I tried to put it in there, though, with Jen and, and the, the Vigoro guy. Yeah, yeah but, but, they were, but they didn't have the chemistry together for it to work. Well, and they didn't really come to each other. I don't know. I feel like they sort of, he decided, I'm going to help you in this suicide mission. But there was not this sense of, I'm coming, I'm coming to your aid, right? Like, I get the, like the way it came across to me. I felt like that's what the writers wanted to happen, but the fact that they didn't have chemistry like that kept it from happening because those I, were know. supposed to be unspoken things. Like, okay, I kind of feel where you're coming from, but yeah. you don't, you can't spill it out. You have to have the actors do it with their actions, and they just did not have that chemistry for that to happen. Because well, the things that they do make it seem like that's what should be happening. But they're like chemistry. You're just like, why are they doing this? Yeah. One thing that struck me watching the film is and, and thinking about it afterwards was it seemed like they had an entire trilogy's worth of story. They had three movies worth of story. Uh crammed into two, two and a half hours of movie. <laughs> hey, it's Amanda. Uh, you know, I, that's what I think. I think, you know, Rogue One would have been great as a trilogy if they had expanded each of the elements. Um, you know, Jen and her her relationship, strained relationship with her father, relationship with Saw Gera. You know, both of these things are, are good ideas, but I don't think they were executed fully. Um, and really. <clears throat> You know, you guys compared uh, Chirrut and Baze to kind of the Jedi, but the two of them also had that Han and Chewie vibe. Mm-hmm. You know? They had that lifelong buddy relationship, and you could mm-hmm. tell it immediately. The minute you met them, they had that lifelong buddy relationship happening between them. You didn't mean any words for it. That's what I mean with Jen and the other guy. They didn't but, have that chemistry where it's believable that one of them would want to help the other Right, they were kind of forced to work together because, you know... Um, uh, Especially with that whole message of hope. There was no feeling of hope from either of them. Yeah, and, and that was kind of... I thought that was kind of rapidly done, too, is Jen's transformation from, um, you know, very first scene, you know, other than her being a small child, that we see her in is getting busted out of an Imperial jail... And next, she's giving Captain America speeches at the end of the movie. Yeah, that speech was, it felt out of nowhere. It felt unearned. And I mean, Lord love her. I feel like she was doing what she could with it, but there was just no, there was no oomph behind it. Yeah, I I felt the same way. Like I said, I like the actress that was playing her. I think she did a great job, but I don't think she was the right person for that role. I don't think, I think it was they miscast that. I don't think it was the role. I think it was the writing and that because I just they, I didn't believe her as that character. They portrayed the rebellion 
as a bureaucratic mess. Mm-hmm. A nonsensical and, bu- bureaucratic mess, too. Because well, the things I, they argued made no sense. Well, I, and I, well, I love that there was factions, right? I actually really liked the first half of the movie. I liked the idea of there being this bureaucratic sort of incrementalist we need to like work politically and then you know you've got the salt types like no we're just gonna blow stuff up and i really thought that was cool i felt there was a lot more of that on the cutting room floor you know if they're if they had made a trilogy out of that i feel like that that saul story arc could have been a whole movie like the the mind the weird mind control alien that we sort of introduced and then disappeared and and his it mind controls you, breaks your sanity. Yet Bodie Rook was able to be snapped out of insanity. By yeah, he was word. completely fine. No ill repercussions. He just kind of like uh, drooled for like what five minutes, and then he's like, "Yeah, I'm on board." Yeah, I'm the pilot. You are the pilot. Welcome to the party. And then you know he's he's yeah, like you're a big integral part of the end mission. You're amazing. It's like, okay, that was a big jump in progression there for him. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, I, I think the quality of the acting for 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 him and and you know I sadly I think um I'm I'm gonna say this, I'm gonna probably get a re- definitely get a reaction out of Steve. Is I think Alan Tujik was wasted as K two SO. Oh man. K two SO is the greatest droid in any Star Wars movie ever. That droid was wasted on this movie. <laughs> For all the awesomeness he did, he was really wasted on this movie. Steve the pirate needs to play more droids. I would have loved to see him in, like, I don't know, Force Awakens. He would have been great in that because he would have had time to do stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, f- I found him to be kind of like uh, the um, illegitimate offspring of uh, C3PO and Marvin the Android. But he fit in with the tone of the movie though i mean the the thing about this movie that you don't get from from the regular star wars movies is it was bleak this wasn't a shit's gonna work out and we're gonna defeat the empire and this was like people who basically realized that they were doomed right and he just had it from the (laughs) get-go maybe he had smart on the android well, maybe he had to have that because he was reprogrammed. Maybe you get some sort of um, robot existential angst from being reprogrammed from um, Empire Allegiance to Rebellion Allegiance. Dro- droids are weird in Star Wars because they have sentience, but they're droids. Yeah, um... I thought, um, well, I here okay. You mentioned you mentioned the bleakness of this movie, and, and you're right; it is bleak. I mean, you know, you walk into the theater, you know, none of these characters are going to survive because you can't have a large project, Star Wars story, so close to the first Star Wars film and have these characters survive, um, especially with the way the first one starts, right? You, you could spin it into the expanded universe. Um, they'd already had, had it set up that this was, you know, Rebels version of a black ops team. Um, but, yeah, you'd be left with the questions of, okay, where are all these guys throughout the rest of the movies if they're so important here? So you had to kill them, and you walk into the theater knowing that these characters are going to die. Or be frozen in carbonite. Or be frozen in carbonite. Or worse, eaten by mind-melting monsters. But it don't actually have any lasting effects. Right. <laughs> Warning, then, middle management. Darth middle management. That's what I like to call Krennic. Baby, baby moth Tarkin. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and even then, the subtle power play uh, in the politics within the Imperial command structure was also an interesting idea to play with but there wasn't enough of it in substance for the film. Well, it's like this film was teasing a lot of great ideas and, and, and trying to mash them together. Well, they, they may have overstepped. Well, obviously they overstepped with the CG aspect of it, but they may have overstepped the Tarkin aspect and they could have, I'll, they could have dialed back Tarkin 
and gotten more into the internal politics um, between the, the people who are on the same level. Yeah, and, and to another extent, as in the original film, Tarkin and Vader are like the boogeyman of the Empire. Right. You know, it's no... I mean, yeah, they had Tarkin in, in Rebels... And I'll, I'll talk about Rebels in a minute. But, you know, even then he was portrayed as a boogeyman. You know, it's like you you done messed up if Tarkin's got to come. And, you know, I just didn't get that that sense from them, including Tarkin in, in this film. I thought that they were. I thought the, that Tarkin did have that. I think that may, possibly that. uh um What's his name? There's uh, not Urso. Krennic. Krennic. That Krennic was not as sharp <laughs> as as he could have been, and I think he he overplayed his hand that way and didn't realize that Tarkin actually is a boogeyman. Tarkin mm. is. They, they play Tarkin like a uh, like a Nazi um, general, right? In this, that's how he came off, you know, very cool, calm, and calculating. Mm-hmm. And you get aspects of like that in the New Hope. Yeah, you get, you, but the New Hope is where it, where it starts for Tarkin. I mean, Tarkin is the guy who destroyed a planet, an entire planet, just to prove a point. Right. Well, and then, but he, but according to this, he waited for Krennic to, you know, just fuck up the environment of a planet to. to to be yeah, able good, to do it. Good thing the small ears have left the room. That's right. <laughs> Oops, sorry. <laughs> no, I, but I think I think you're right that there's this movie was much more about. I mean, it was it was continuity porn, as my friends used to call uh, Star Trek uh, Enterprise, and it was trying to it was trying to kind of you know connect these dots and and give a kind of infrastructure which can sometimes be dangerous, right? I mean, so, so, so much of what was great about Star Wars is what went on set. We didn't really know what the Force was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we found out it was, like, a sexually transmitted infection, and it was awful. Um, and so this idea of, like, let's really get down to the minutia of, of the bureaucracy, like, oh, that seems a bit... Ugh. And it's, it's a weakness of the expanded universe, right? So much of the expanded universe feels so over the top and so ridiculous because they're trying to make sense of... They have, A, a lot more space, you know, when you're writing something to right. try to explain, all right, well, here's how Bathaui works, and we're going to really get into the <laughs> into the weeds of, of the New Republic. Mm-hmm. Um, what did I, I just listened to uh, Chuck Wendick's uh, Aftermath, which mm-hmm. was interesting, uh, and is a very busy novel that tries to both, you know, tell a, a, a pretty fun story, but also just let's explain everything that's going on with every single Star Wars character and, you know, and, and let's go visit our old friends, Han and Chewie. And it just gets so busy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Rogue that One is the first of three. That's, that's right. Trilogy. <laughs> yes. No, very true. Um, and Rogue One, I give it credit. You know, it was it, it was kind of playing with some of this infrastructure stuff and seeing this kind of, you know, in-house fighting both in the Empire and in the, Re- in the Rebellion. But... It was clever, and I think it found a nice a nice middle path uh, between too much information and info dumping and like, oh, look at this Star Wars thing, and leaving it completely sort of up in the air and confusing. Um, it, it still felt stitched together. There were still scenes that felt like uh, they set something up that didn't pay off, like mind control aliens. Um, there were, you know, <laughs> Vader showing up. Kind of Tarkin's, you know, eight playing eight dimensional chess, um, but I appreciated, I appreciated a, a lot of what they, a lot of little details, right? Like the the stormtroopers that had the really crackly voice uh, in that opening sequence. That was a really cool touch. Mm-hmm. You know, this this these those older death troopers, or whatever they were, having this kind of tinny, tinny, uh, like kind of pilot voice. Uh, was really cool. It was just a, it was a nifty little detail to give you this idea of like the empire just a decade earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I really liked it. I mean, one of the things that I hated about Re- uh, Re- revenge of the Sith was how it ends with Vader and Tarkin standing on the bridge, looking like they're waiting for a new hope to t- start. 
and 18 years are going to pass, right? Why is Vader wearing the exact same armor that he's going to have for the next 18 years? Um, it's cheaper that way. Yes, precisely. It's iconic. But he's, but he's not. Um, and so it's, it's, I like this, this idea of an older empire. Um, I don't know. There's just, there was, there's some nifting little details like that, that, um, that appealed to me. Mm. Okay. Um, another, okay. Let's, let's, let's talk sequences. One of the other things that was interesting about the film was how, um, you see the rebel Alliance operating on the ground. I mean, we're used to star Wars it being, you know, naval battles and stuff like that. We don't see a whole lot of uh, ground forces action, save like the Battle of Hoth and uh, well, the Battle of Endor. Even Hoth was more or less a naval battle. I mean, they were right. pretty much, yeah. It was more of an more of an air battle. Well, yeah. But you know, this you see that the Rebel Alliance uses uh, guerrilla tactics. And, and cells and, and things like this. And this is something that uh, they started in Rebels where there is no, there is a Rebel Alliance, but it's not this monolithic entity. It is a collection of independent cells spread throughout the galaxy, just harrying the Empire at every turn. Um, and, and you see that on, on, on Jeddah. And... You know, saw and his men just waste an imperial caravan uh, for no, really for no reason other than that they're stormtroopers, and you know that was kind of interesting to see them use these types of tactics. But you know, I think the bleakness of the film. I think uh, shoot uh, Diego Luna's character, oh Cassian, Cassian Andor. You know, I really didn't buy him as the way they were trying to sell him. It seemed this, as they were this kind to of hard, this sort of hardened killer. Yeah, and well, he he pulled that off well when he shot his friend in the back to get away from the stormtroopers in the very beginning. But I don't think these characters are really for that part of the Star Wars universe. I think that if this movie wasn't so linked to the first film that you could have had this movie and it would have been fantastic. But I think it was using the original Star Wars film almost as a crutch to say, hey, you know, come watch this film. Well, yeah, I mean, again, I I, guess I, I agree. I think it's continuity porn, right? It's like, let's tell the story of this one sentence from Star Wars mm-hmm. about how we got these you know, these data tapes. <laughs> right. Um, and that's, I don't know, there's something about that. It's a cool, it's a cool experiment, right? It's a cool idea. Um, and I, I think they largely were successful with it. Again, my qualms notwithstanding. Um, but no, it's completely dependent, right? I mean, sure, you could watch this without seeing A New Hope. I don't know if I would recommend that. <laughs> Right, but I think like the character, some of the characters, the character of Tarkin, the menace of the Death Star, kind of has to relies on the fact that you've seen the first film, you already come into the theater knowing who Tarkin is, knowing who Darth Vader is, and knowing what the Death Star can do, and you know that. Yeah. Well, that might be a little, just a little bit of lazy writing. Um, you know, had had you written this independently of that, then you could have explained that very quickly and established those things. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that doesn't bother me as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it is a safe assumption that, you, that most people have seen A New Hope. I, mean, right. I don't think that's a big gamble right there. Well, that's true. That's true. And well, and it's a more adult film that I, that I can't imagine someone showing it to their kids before they would show them a new hope, right? I mean, mm-hmm. a new hope is for all that it's got arms getting chopped off and Greedo's getting shot is is more kid friendly than this, yeah. right? I mean, just this is just bleak, you know. I can't. This is a straight up war film. Yeah, uh, and, I remember this is this is targeted at, at you know Star Wars fans our age. Yeah, is really who the audience they were going for was. 
and I think it's wise to not necessarily try to reinvent the wheel or try to, you know, to, to act as if Star Wars doesn't exist. You know, I think there's a visual, there's a visual vocabulary you can draw upon and some filmmakers can run into trouble when they depart from that or try to sort of ignore source material, which this doesn't. I mean, this is very much rooted in Star Wars, dependent on Star Wars, um, and, and uses that vocabulary really well. Uh, the image of the, the stormtroopers, the image of just the imperial symbols, the ships. There's there's a lot that it's it's just sort of hitting that reptile part of our brain that just recognizes those silhouettes and and color schemes mm-hmm. from just having watched Star Wars or played the games. And, and I think, I mean, for me, a really successful mark of this movie is that it made me want to play in the Star Wars world and 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 use this to play in Star Wars. You know, as someone who's been playing the role playing game since high school and who is who loves various star wars board game i just played star wars rebellion last night you know and i i would love to see a rogue one expansion for that because again it's it's playing with it's playing with the tropes and the i'm the the visual cues that i'm we, we've all kind of grown up with um and it does it well and makes it fun it makes you want to experience it i did not want to join you know, Anakin and Obi-Wan on Mustafar. Like I did not care about that at all. Um, but I'd love to go play on Jeddah. I'd love to go play on um, and, and play a game where you're running around with Saul Guerrero's, you know, team or, or, or having to, you know, save innocent bystanders from their acts of terrorism. I don't know. There's like, that's, that's really cool to me. Um, and I appreciate the movie for adding a layer of richness that I wanted to engage with, uh, directly, and again, we've mentioned this is Disney. Disney is all about the finding the the, the way to to uh, merchandise and uh, create that that deeper experience, uh, whether it's through Star Star Wars rides or the bizarre, <laughs> the bizarre like Star Wars Star Wars video like like karaoke that my daughter is like obsessed with now, watching like Chewbacca boogie, oh dancing with the Bruno Star Wars Mars. stars, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I'm so glad um, my kids are older. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I think that's a mark of the film's success that it that it makes me want to engage with that. You know, as as, as if nothing else, it's a really good marketing tool. Uh, it did have a very RPG feel to it. It had a feel of like a bunch of buddies sitting around playing Star Wars characters on a story that's related to the main plot, but isn't the main plot. And maybe maybe there is a um, an element of record of Lotus War here, which that that anime started as the creators' D and D campaign. Right. Maybe the genesis of Rogue One was someone's West End Games campaign. I I, I definitely once ran a a single shot single shot game for some friends, and I handed them all character sheets. And the first one like, oh, I'm a Bothan. Ha ha ha. Second one like, wait, I'm a Bothan. And then they all looked and realized all of them were Bothans. I went. Are you ready to play? Well, you know, we know we all know that it was actually Manny Bothans. Yes, yes, yes. That died <laughs> to bring us this information. Uh, now, I, I know Steve probably hasn't seen it, but uh, have you have you seen Rebels, the the other Disney prequel property? I actually, oh, I watched a couple of those. Oh, okay, cool. I have the first season. I have not managed to convince my wife to sit down and watch them with me. Um, so I've seen the first half of the first episode, <laughs> right? And I've seen little clips that people have shared, mm-hmm. um, just because there's a lot that people share. Mm-hmm. Is there fun? Now, you know, it's it's interesting that you know both of these properties are are run by Disney and and the Disney Lucasfilm entity, and they are set in roughly the same time period, and they are completely different in tone from each other. I mean, yeah. Rebels is an animated series, so it's meant more for a uh, all all ages audience. It's more of a family show, like the saga films. But I think that they capture that that spark that you were talking about, Lehman, at the beginning. I think they capture that much more than Rogue One did, and that's what I've heard. I've heard that it does a good job of taking characters that you know and love and expanding on them. I've heard that Tarkin is fantastic on the show. Um, Mads think- Mikkelsen's brother is, uh, Oh yes. Ron. 
Um, so I've, I've, I've definitely heard, um, I've definitely heard it, it really sold well. And, and I've heard that Clone Wars likewise did a, a decent job expanding. I, I watched a bit of that like original Clone Wars movie that had the, the strange like Southern hut. And Zero. That, that was, that was really hard. It was, that did not sell it well, especially because I love the Jenny Tartakovsky Clone Wars minisodes. Like that for mm-hmm. me is the, like the, the best Star Wars. Flat out love what Jenny Tartakovsky did and how he played with those characters. And he was very minimalistic dialogue wise, but told just visually just captured what was visually amazing about Star Wars and just ran with it, ran with the source material. I mean, he goes back to Kurosawa for some of his stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, the the one thing about the micro series was that the Jedi were far too powerful. Mace Windu decimating <laughs> an entire army of droids on his own. Oh, but it's beautiful. Oh, it's, it's beautifully done. Yes. <laughs> But, I mean, I remember being on the Wizards of the Coast forum when the revised core rule set came out and <laughs> and that series came out. And you had all these gamer guys trying to figure out how to duplicate that sequence within the D20 setting. And it's like, you know, and they were like you're tweaking feet and tweaking rules and stuff like that to try to make, you know, um, the standard set of actions where you could – dismantle a droid with the force bolt by bolt, you know, and, and things like this. But uh, well, me, I back to rebels for a second. Uh, I, I really enjoyed the mix of characters uh, they had on rebels. Uh, they have characters who do different things, who do have per- different personalities, but I didn't really think that Jen Urso and, and Cassian Andor to be the, the leads in this movie. I didn't think they had much personality and I didn't think they had much uh, uh, chemistry together as Lily was saying. Well, you know, you could think of it that way. You could think of it like you have two people who've been just beaten the fuck down by circumstance. Um, And they're not the brightest, spunkiest people in the, in the universe right now. Right. But I, you know, it's not necessarily bright and spunk. I just didn't, I didn't buy them as two two people beaten down by their lifestyles, you know, thrown together by fate and circumstance, and you know, and I definitely didn't buy them as these like iconic heroes of a, you know, these these martyrs of a rebellion rather than like, heroes. They were martyrs. Well, yeah, I don't think they were supposed to be iconic. I, I mean, I think they were supposed to be. Like the unsung schmucks that get it done. I feel like they were sort of trying to do two things. I feel like they were trying to tell this really personal story of this young this young woman and her family and her relationship to the Empire of the Rebellion. And then they also were kind of trying to do a bit of an ensemble cast. Like the, again, like you said, the sort of a like gaming group coming together. And it, I, you know, the first half of the movie felt like the former. Like you were getting this 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 tale of this young girl. Um, who again? It's and it gets problematic because essentially a young girl who is passed from man to man and then is being used by the rebel to find those men, mm-hmm. like you know, who has no particular inherent value, um, and then and then it turns into this this sort of you know ensemble war World War Two movie where the rebels literally have like GI helmets, <laughs> right? Which was like that took that took me out of it. That made me go okay, calm down. But it, um, it actually it speaks to the rebellion. Uh, as how really are they any better than the Empire? I mean, yes, they are well, because they're not the Empire. <laughs> but I mean, when when circumstances get down to it, they're definitely willing to do things like use a young woman who's been abused her whole life to go and find her abusers. And that's not like an ideal thing. That's not somebody that you normally would be rooting for. Well, this feels like a movie that came that's very much of its time, right? As we like the conversations we have about Syria and how do we help moderate rebels and what is a moderate rebel versus what is just a terrorist. Like this, that that was what I took from the first half of the movie, and I I really liked it. I liked that kind of ambiguity and darkness um, more than I liked the kind of World War II storm the beaches the caper part. 
uh, yeah, we got to get we we got to get the thing to plug into the other thing to you know press Z on you know when you approach the <laughs> the antenna. Um, we, we send a message from a ship through the shield to tell them to take down the shield so we can send a message. A big message. Right. <laughs> you know, I, and, I, and I think that that right there, you know, once that plan sank into my head, I think that kind of ruined the World War II Storm the Beaches aspect, even though that was an amazing action sequence that was, hell, what was it, 20, 30 minutes long? A good... Good yeah, chunk yeah. of the movie was, yeah, was yeah, yeah. spent on this this action scene, and you know, but that initial okay, turn on the switch, send the ship, send the first message from the ship through the shield <laughs> to tell them that hey, we need to take down the shield so we can use the much more powerful transmitter to send um, a, a, a lot of data, a message with uh, some uh, attachments. Right. Some well, some nineteen some nineteen some nineteen seventies graphics have to get out of well, here. Now this is where the technology that was shown in A New Hope fails a modern movie. Oh, yeah. if you want to have continuity porn, you got to have continuity. That's right. right. However, yeah, I mean, you know, the Imperial. However, the Imperial probe droid went inside a planetary shield and sent a message back, including images. Truth. The technical stuff didn't bother me as much. I think I, it was the kind of wrote like, ah, I have completed this part of the Rube Goldberg machine. Now I can be gunned down by stormtroopers. Well, now I have completed my part of the machine. Yeah. Now I can get gunned down by stormtroopers. It right. just it kept getting a bit more ridiculous. Yeah, well, um, that's definitely very role-playing of it. Right, is that each, each character individually gets gets taken their, out. Their part done, and then, then they expire. Exactly, and you know, in a lot of ways, that felt like kind of the Dirty Dozen and, and um, things like that, where everybody's or Great Escape and things like that, where everybody's got one part of the plan that they have to accomplish. Yeah. But the one thing, the one thing that they did do well with that with that device is that um, their part of the plan was more improvised than you know they went in and said okay you know uh Bodie Rook is going to do this and Baze and Chirrut are going to do this and we're going to do this originally the plan was we're going to break in take the tapes you guys just run interference right and then all these other things started where the act the characters actually started using their skills right well you fail your stealth roll <laughs> exactly, and you have to improvise. So you got to hand it to them. Oh yeah, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna check my uh, operate heavy machinery. Oh shit, I failed that. Yeah, let's uh let's uh Bodie Rook made a bunch Make of a uh, dex checks and Make uh, a luck roll to see if you can hit the switch. Have you have you Make guys a luck uh, roll to see if you can get back in the ship to hit the button? <laughs> have you guys played Imperial Assault? No, that's no. the uh, the board game with the little miniatures and you. It, yeah, it's sort of like a Star Wars, uh, Star Wars Hero Strike or, or uh, Dungeon Strike or something like that, where mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's kind of missions on a, a sort of halfway between a role playing game and a board game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, that that part definitely felt like <laughs> like Imperial Assault. Sort of, you got to get through the thing and kill the guys. And okay, I'm going to deploy happen. this guy over here to do this, and this guy over here, and you know, and it also felt like a role playing game, as just as we were just saying. Um, you know, the GM just could not hit Chirrut at all. Damn you guys stream. And then and then Baze's player comes out and he's like critical one after the um, other. Um GM, can I can I, I I don't have this this skill, but can I like roll just to see? <laughs> I know I know I'm playing the blind guy, but I want to walk across the, the battlefield and flip the switch. The force, I, I am one with the force. The force is one with me. That's my justification. Okay, wrong. <laughs> well, that's that, that's how you know they're playing GURPS. The guy took blind and then completely, you know, used the extra points to buy out all the penalty and make it completely <laughs> worthless. <laughs> right. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Um. But in a way, I mean, that's how uh, Jedi ended. With a bunch of happy circumstances and making your roles. Yep. Oh yeah, I mean you know that, that's that's a Star Wars trope right there. I mean I don't. 
I actually that like the, the everything that could possibly go wrong does go wrong part of the movie. I like it's just it felt like the skip to that was mm. so forced. That was my problem. Right. It it didn't feel it didn't feel like the now, of course, you know, the shot heard around the galaxy with Luke Skywalker in the first Star Wars film, that didn't feel like just dumb luck. But no, you know, it, it was like, and, it was and like and take, you take the last part of this movie Vader out of the trench. That was take all the build up out and take the last part and then add that to the first movie. Right. It it's makes just, it so much better. <laughs> No, I argue that Han coming back is not dumb luck. Again, that's relationship. That's that's established. Right. Right? No, they I mean, I'm just coming back. It's, right, he comes it's back, the, but I mean, the, the shot that he makes, you know, just like he they fire from the Falcon, hit the one storm, the one Tie Fighter, bounce it into Vader's, and he bounces out of the. Right, I agree. That's that that kind of that kind of dumb luck. Um, the whole I accidentally hit Boba Fett in the rocket pack with a <laughs> fairy stick. You know that that sort of thing, and those moments were also missing from the film. Um, there was definitely a lack of humor, except for except for you, Alan Tudyk. Yeah, and and even uh, Chirrut and Bays. I mean, those it, Alan Tudyk's character had that dry, that dry humor, the almost gallows kind of humor of him. You know. when, when they when they put the bag over him, and he's like, "Are you serious? I'm, I'm blind. A, Are you serious?" That, that, that got a genuine laugh out of me. Yeah. That was good. That was a good moment. Right. I don't know how and, Star Warsy that felt, but it was a good moment. And even well, that that did that had kind of that swashbuckling, you know, old serial of a moment there. Um, yeah, the moment yeah. where they get locked in Saw's dungeon, and he's just like, "Well, we've been in worse cages than this." And I was like, "You know what? I'm thinking that that story might be a little more interesting than the one they're telling now." I would so pay for a movie to watch those two, <laughs> just them. And all the stuff they did before this, <laughs> yeah, be- because they Star Wars is a is a film full of archetypes, and I think that um, you know you have the Han as the the roguish, you know, charming, you know, swashbuckler type, and you have you know Luke as the idealistic hero, and Chewbacca as the starry eyed baby boy, the bad boy, yeah, the bad boy's and- buddy. <laughs> You know, and you you have the good these, 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 and you have you know Chirrut and Bays as being kind of the the scruffy rogues um, and loyal friends, you know, filling that role. But you don't really get the the starry eyed idealism of Luke Skywalker. Is Jen Erso and and Cassian Andor are are anti Luke Skywalker? I'm actually glad that they did that. Um, I, one of the big complaints about the uh, Force Awakens was it was just a rehash of A New Hope and recycling the characters and the archetypes. And I'm glad they, they didn't use those archetypes and characters again. But I didn't really find, you know, anybody recycled in in, in a Force Awakens in the Force Awakens. You know, Ray is not starry eyed and idealist and neither is Finn. And I mean if of the two Finn would be the closest Sure they, they they sort of remix things, right? Like yeah. Finn has the sort of the naivete of Luke Skywalker and the completely sort of out of his element. You know, Ray has the the kind of uh, native talent and ability to fly ships that she's that right. he has, and, and and a little bit of that, and a little bit of that roguish charm. Yeah, of, she of she Solo. is closer to the Han Solo of the group than anything. And, well, and Poe, of course, well, it's like a too. mix of the two of Luke oh, yeah, and well, together. Poe, Poe is is you know Marty Stew. I really think <laughs> is that you know it's like you have that one sequence on uh, shit. I forgot the name of the planet uh, where Mas Kanata's castle is, and he just oh, flies right. in, and anything <laughs> in front of his X wing just explodes. <laughs> yeah, it's like the he, jacket. The jacket is the real star of that movie. Yeah, I would say the jacket is the real story. But, you know, and and the humor aspect of The Force Awakens versus, you know, the bleakness of, you know, and I guess that's why it's not star, really Star Wars Rogue One. It's Rogue One, a Star Wars story. That's right. Yeah, that, uh, that bleakness doesn't really bother me as much as it does you. 
I, I don't mind bleak. Bleak is didn't bother me, honestly. I don't mind bleak movies. Uh, I'm a horror fan, but first and foremost, that's what I drive on. Well, and I think that, that, that the bleakness of it brings to mind something that Lehman had mentioned earlier about the timing of this film being released. And, you know, there was a lot of bleakness going on in the real world. At the time, truth. And you see it, and you know, and they're the part of the the current resistance to Trump's presidency. There are people who have borrowed some of the terminology. They borrowed Generoso's line of rebellions are built on hope. Um, people look to themselves as being like the Rebel Alliance. Um, I, I I literally have a button that has that slogan, <laughs> right? And and the Rebel Rebel Alliance logo on. Yep. Um, and I think that you know coming coming into this being bombarded through social media and regular media with this just you know dystopian reality that we live in that you know I wanted to go see a Star Wars movie and and it end on the lighter note rather than it end on, you know, every, all the characters are dead. Um, except, except in a way except, it kind of does, but it doesn't do it the way you would, it would feel better. Cause I mean, it does end on Leia, which is the new hope. You know? Yeah. It's a, it's a pirate victory. Yeah. But I was, you know, you're screwed Rodney. Cause the next saga story that's coming out is act two. Right. Which is always, <laughs> which is always bleak. <laughs> And, and knowing and knowing that you know Carrie Fisher will not be in the third, mm. yeah, that's a blow. Yeah, well, and that's what I don't know. For, I feel like that's what makes weird CG face Leia even worse. <laughs> and, yeah, and somewhat more and feel somewhat more ghoulish. You know, it's mm-hmm. like those like those old uh, ads that would like have Gene Kelly dancing with a you know with a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> you know, right. CG Gene Kelly, Fred Astaire. Uh, it's it's like they did that, but for a whole movie, or at least for the last little tail end of the movie. Right. Well, Peter Cushing's death. You know, there's been some some time in between. Now. He died not too long after the first film, correct? Oh, I don't uh, know. No. No, but it no, was, was. It's been a while. I'm gonna have to look that up. Yeah. yeah. But you know, well, and and for all that that CG Tarkin was weird, they they at least had enough of him throughout the movie that you kind of got used to it. I feel like Leia, because we just got that three second. He died in 1994. Like, yeah, yeah, he died in 94. It's, 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 Still, there's been plenty of time yeah. between, between, you know, Peter the, Cushing's the death. The problem and, with Cushing was merely that uncanny valley. They just didn't do a good, good enough job with it. <laughs> well, you know, it's one of those things that the, the effects difference between CGI characters in various Star Wars films, you know, um, Snoke in The Force Awakens had more facial movement than Tarkin did. Snoke was also not supposed to like, he wasn't supposed to look like somebody you already knew. <laughs> right, you know, and the so, fact you know, that, there are a lot of things you can get away with with that rather than having well, this is a real actor that people have seen mm-hmm. and know what he looks like and what his facial expressions look like and that just really looks out of place. Right, and <laughs> They could have gotten around it by doing what they did with Snoke and make it him a communication hologram. Exactly. Yeah, was, there were numerous things they could have done to, to mm-hmm. fix that. They didn't yeah, actually okay. have to have him be in the room. You could have absolutely done that much better or or lighten up the scenes. And I think some of the scenes with Tarkin were probably added on later, you know, as you know, we have to have That's him what it felt like to me point. from an artistic standpoint. It felt like they didn't get to do the final passes on his animation that they wanted to do. Right, because he ha- his his eyebrows and forehead did not move. <laughs> it was like you know, and Peter Cushing had a huge forehead, and you know that's just like staring you right in the face, especially if you saw it in the theater. And that sucker, that forehead is three foot tall in a close up. <laughs> you know, it's like okay, I can clearly see that your forehead and your eyebrows are not moving. Skin like, tone wasn't right either. No, the skin tone it didn't was match the lighting in those, in those scenes. Well, and if, and he was there with other people, right? Like if we had just sort if of he had seen not, him, if he had been by himself, that might have helped. That uh, yeah, that there was just, there was some weird yeah, and that, but 
I get I get why they wanted to do it. I get the nod, the homage, what have you. I just I don't think technologically we're there yet. I feel like you could have done like, all I gotta say is if they could pull off the crow way back then, they could have pulled this <laughs> off. They just fucked it up. <laughs> oh, well, I don't know. I, I I think there's yeah It's I, too I, much I, reliance I, on the CG of it, I think that really screwed the pooch. They just didn't get it right. But, you know, for me coming out of the theater after seeing Rogue One, it was a mixed bag. I mean, you know, yeah, I was entertained for two and a half hours. And, you know, it was an interesting film. But, you know, I also just didn't like the film. But, you know, you didn't like a Force, the Force I didn't Awakens. Like the, I didn't like The Force Awakens the first time I saw it either. And, you know, because I guess may, maybe for the same reason, I didn't see... I wanted to see Rogue One again before we did this episode, but you know maybe the second time I see Rogue One, my thoughts on it will change like it did on Force Awakens because I've seen Force Awakens now three times, and for me that film just keeps getting better and better. See, I I, uh, I enjoyed the, the subtle things they did in Force Awakens with the homages, just the the way they shot it was so poetic. Yeah. The only thing I wish they had left in the Force Awakens was the oh, Chewie right. ripping off Unkar Plutt's arm. <laughs> so, like, Force Awakens gave me back that feeling of watching A New Hope the first time. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it brought back that little kid in me, like, oh, this is awesome. And then, like, the me now that's the artist, I'm looking at these shots and I get the symbolisms and stuff that went in it the first time I'm seeing it. I hadn't had a chance to watch it again since I saw it. Because right. I, I didn't watch it in theaters. I watched it recently. Mm-hmm. And then I watched this one and I realized that I'll remember like little things but as a whole, it's not a movie I want to see again. What I want to see is the movie from that first trailer we got for Rogue One. Oh yeah. Yeah, with, none of the with, scenes in that trailer with Saul's with Saul's you know talk like like his monologue throughout that you know what will you become you know what will you do when they catch you like that's the movie I would really have loved to have seen. Well, maybe the little Suicide Squad the, D- the DVD release. There we go. <laughs> and you'll get the actual movie. I mean, I, I saw that too, and it it didn't help that much. <laughs> yeah, because it seemed like it seemed like the even the entire Battle of Scarif was staged differently because you saw in the trailer that one sequence where they're running toward the ATCTs, you know, and Jen has the data tapes and I guess they're running for a ship. And well, and there's, and, and I heard so much about like sequences for the trailer where they really, they just like had finished filming or they were walking away and they said, Oh quick, get the camera back on and would like take a 30 second shot of like Jen looking back at the camera or Krennic standing in front of the death star plans. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I think, I think they were doing a lot of stuff on the fly, which is cool, but Oh, did it's I, a, did I feel like I did not get that. You movie. Do that though. It's a crapshoot when you do that. Sometimes it works. Right. Sometimes it doesn't. Because the if force- you do, do too many things on the fly, you end up with green lantern. You end up with, or you end up with Apocalypse Now. Or you end up with Suicide Squad. Because, <laughs> like, the Force Awakens trailer, you know, with the piano plinking and, you know, like, that, like, that trailer, I got that movie from that, right? I love that. Mm-hmm. I've watched that trailer a thousand times because my daughter loves that trailer and she wants me to show it to her a thousand times. Um, and, like, it still gives me goose bumps when I watch that trailer because it's it's so good and it and you got that like I got you know it's like the Iron Man trailer that first one you know you got Iron Man from that trailer um, the trailer for Rogue One gives you something and it gives you something close to what the movie is but there's there's something that's just missing yeah and I, and I think maybe the reshoots is what what pulled that something out could be and that's that, there's definitely that's that's what I mean. There, people were talking about how they went back and changed the music and went back and tried to make it less dark. Uh, I don't know. It's I think there's there's always going to be tweaking, and especially when you're Disney and you've you're micromanaging something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'd, I'd be curious because I also the the writer. I really like the writer. He he did a book of Eli also mm-hmm. with a blind fighter yep. <laughs> with magic powers, which was a, which was a surprisingly <laughs> good movie despite its. Despite its obvious uh, error that the King James <laughs> Bible in Braille is like thirty six volumes, 
Well, maybe um, he only had the New Testament. He only had the Book of John. That's right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, like, like I, he, I was that that made me very interested in what Rogue One was going to be like. I'd be curious to know what his original story was compared to what it wound up being. Uh, I'm sure he's under a thousand years worth of NDAs. Um, but uh, but yeah, there was there was some interesting stuff, and I liked Mads Mikkelsen. I know that was there was some controversy over Mads Mikkelsen in this. I liked him. I thought I thought his character was interesting. I thought his story was interesting. The idea of this saboteur engineer is it 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 explains the giant gaping hole really nicely. Um, I really liked that part too. I really liked his character, and he was very effective for as little as he was in the movie. Yeah, uh, you know, I like to imagine that. Uh, Galen Erso is part of a secret cabal of Imperial engineers trying to undermine the Empire through workplace accidents. Because that freaking angle you know switch what? for you know the what? I can day? believe that. Think about how bad the shot stormtroopers are. It's not them. It's their fucking guns. It's the engineers. <laughs> it's funny that the there one, we go. We've got the one Star Wars Rebels that I, I watched, or one of the few, was mm-hmm. exactly that plot. Right, where the, the engineers were were uh, screwing with the weapons. I don't get it, man. I mean, we shoot the targets fine. Why can't we hit anybody? But I mean, <laughs> and and I guess I guess that kind of goes back to the role playing essence of it. Is like okay, the switch to angle the transmitter dish is uh, two rounds away. Right. You know, well, run for it. It's like okay, why would you put that there? There's no rails on the Death Star. Yes, no rails on the Death Star. They said they, they, they're afraid we'll lean on it. Um, <laughs> if, you're not, if you're not leaning, you could be. If you're leaning, you could be cleaning something. Now, here's here's another continuity question: Is that was Galen Urso responsible for the pit to the reactor core in the throne room? <laughs> Look, if the here's my back. No, that my was somebody else. The that second was Death Star. That, that was that was the trash compact. The guy that was just like, you know what? They ain't looking right now. Let's switch this schematic up just a little bit. I don't know how this is going to work, but somebody's going to fuck up and this is going to happen. <laughs> Many Bothans oh, died so for this information, but Frank the Engineer got away scot-free. Now, <laughs> ah, you bastards. Hey, I know, Rodney, I know you watch Legends of Tomorrow. Do either of you guys watch Legends of Tomorrow? No, I haven't seen it yet. Have Rodney, have you seen the episode with George Lucas? Uh, I've seen part of it. Oh, all right. They have a character playing George Lucas, and mm-hmm. and um, he and a couple of the main cast get caught in a trash compactor, and they reenact nice. that scene, and that's that's well, how we got that. There we go. <laughs> all right. Well, um, I would say in conclusion, Rogue One kind of a mixed bag. There's there's good things. There's bad things. Uh, pretty much like any other film. Uh, Steve was very satisfied with the film. I'm going to get it when it comes out on home entertainment and I will watch it. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, I, I will, I will admit that Disney and Lucasfilm have my money when it comes to another star Wars film for my collection. I, I own them all. Even, even the animated clone wars film that was in theaters. And most of that television series. Well, this does, this does the job of, of making you feel good about future movies, right? Like I, I don't. I'm not worried about the Lando movie or the Boba Fett movie. Like, like I'm interested in where this is going to go. You know, it's like what they've done with the Marvel franchise. You know, they they've got a plan. They're going to pump these things out. They're going to milk them at forever it's worth. Um, They're making a Lando. If, if this movie? had just been a nightmare. Orlando's going to be in something. I don't know. No, they're making a young land. Like it's the, a young. Well, not Lando specifically, but it's the young Han movie. Oh. Yeah, well, it's more be the story of how he lost the Millennium Falcon, or how he got the Millennium Falcon. Uh, more than likely, that's right. You know, really, uh, they could wrap that entire story up in like twenty minutes of a car. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a poker game or classic. No, imagine, no, like imagine a whole like Ocean's Eleven style, like you know, cu- you know, heist they're trying to like pull off that involves like gambling, and you know, Han Han screws them at the last minute and runs off with the ship. Oh well, um, then you need to go and find the Rebels episode, Idiots Array. Nice. Nope, Which actually go. has Billy D. Williams reprising <laughs> the role of Lando Calrissian for for Rebels, so you get to see a young Lando Calrissian. Well, it's going to be uh, Donald Glover, right? 
Donald Glover signed heard. up to be Lando. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he signed up to be. So yeah, I, this this movie did the you know this movie I I I doubt I'm going to watch this you know a thousand times. I probably get it when it comes out. I'll show it to my daughter um, when she is old enough to appreciate <laughs> death. Um, but uh, but yeah, it, it, it I'm I'm perfectly satisfied with it. Again, I'm not blown away. I'm not gonna I know I'm not like oh man I got to see that again. But it's it was absolutely fine. All right. And with that, we're going to say thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. And until next time, say good night, Gracie. Good night, Gracie. Did you guys do that here too? Do it all everywhere. <laughs> when Robin and I just talk, this is where it started. Night, that's our that's how we nice. Oh, so you're Gracie, Steve. Off. That makes so much sense now. <laughs> yeah, you're Gracie. Uh, all right, I gotta I gotta go make sure my daughter has not OD'd on Doc McStuffins. All right.